What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the MMA Archive. First episode of 2022. It's a new year. I'm looking forward to continuing this show. And there's no better way that to continue with what I think is the best tournament that they've had to date. Um, the fun part about watching these things in order is I'm starting to see, you know, I'm there's some lore. I'm getting some lore. Um, the more you know about the history, the more you'll be excited um, about this event. This is the ultimate, ultimate um, funny UFC <laughs> pay-per-view name, but it's number number 7.5. So I'm surprised they did a 0.5 uh, for a pay-per-view historic in that way. Um, but there's some exciting new rules, of course. Um, <clears throat> referee has the discretion to stop the fight at any point. Um, so that's something to look out for in these fights. Um, definitely comes into play a couple of times, um, as well as the overtime periods, obviously extending now. And they're allowing, for the first time, judges' decisions, uh, which is really interesting. I'm glad that they implemented it. There's been a lot of robberies. Um, I talked about how Ken Shamrock should have won instead of getting a draw against Oleg Taktarov. So it's about time. They're doing the right thing. And now there's going to be some definitive winners. So that's, that's what you want, especially in combat sports. So let's get right into this event. <clears throat> Here are some of the stats, which I'm looking forward. Once again, this, this, this event was just great. Uh, UFC 7.5, the ultimate ultimate, took place on December 6th, 1995 at Mammoth Gardens Arena in denver colorado we have 2800 people in attendance um given the fact that this is one of the most star-studded um ufc tournaments that they've ever had four you heard that right four former ufc tournament champions which is fire and the other four competitors were all runner-ups um except for keith ha hackney i lied um, he, he, he made it far, um, but he ended up getting submitted by Hoist Gracie in the second round, I believe it was. So um, three runner-ups, sorry about that. Um, and let's get right into it. I'm not going to spoil who we have here just yet. Um, you'll find out as I lay out those quarterfinal bouts, but like always, it's only right that we start with the alternate bouts. The first one, Joe Charles versus Scott Bissek. Um, This one, I was... A little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Um, I couldn't find this one. I have a hard time finding these um, alternate bouts. For some reason, they're not included in the actual pay-per-view events. And whenever I try to find them, the only way I could find them, um, and it isn't even always, but I got some tape on this event um, in a Joe Charles highlight reel. So it's very biased. I only see um, snippets of what he does that leads to the finish. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, but <clears throat> sucks that I couldn't find this whole fight. Um, and especially because what I did see is of a biased view, but um, this was actually Joe Charles's third UFC appearance. He is one in one with his um, win coming in an another alternate bout. Um, so surprised that he didn't get the call up, but with the guys that they have in this one, it makes sense. His most recent, um, UFC fight was a rear naked choke loss to Dan Severn at UFC five. Can't feel too bad when you end up losing to the champion. Um, Scott Basek, second UFC fight, 
both were alternate bouts. He's 1-0, and um, and he submitted David Hood just at UFC 7. So good to see him back again. Scott ended up backing Joe to the fence and was able to try to start attacking a, a guillotine, um, which looked like it could be tight, um, but Joe ended up picking him up with a high crotch takedown. Reminded me of uh, Daniel Cormier, just the way he snatched it up picked him up over his head and slammed him, landing into side control with authority. Um, really great takedown there and immediately worked his way into the crucifix. You know, I love that position. Uh, we were talking about it just the other day on the sideline, guys. Um, and from there, he was able to secure a nice key lock submission, which is something you don't see often. That's when he pushes down on the hand um, so it's on the canvas and then he's torquing the elbow up. I've talked about this a couple times, but when I first felt that submission, um, at Marcelo's, that was one of the strangest, like pains I've ever felt because it's inside your shoulder blade. Um, it, the pain isn't, you would expect it's in your arm, um, with the way that's happening, but it, it, it was one of the most acute, strange pains I've ever felt in my life because you're not used to really feeling that joint being torqued on in that way. Like, there's no way you can. It's weird. Trust me, it's weird. Um, but once again, great submission by Joe Charles. Um, in the running, honestly, if you ask me early on for submission of the night, you don't see those often. And pretty cool that he was able to wrap it up. Next up, another alternate bout. Unfortunately, this one, I could not find any footage, um, which is tough. This was Mark Hall's third UFC appearance. He was one and one. Um, both came in the same night at UFC 7, just, just now. Um, he eventually got submitted by Harold Howard. Um, sorry, he submitted Harold Howard and then got submitted by Paul Varlins, the polar bear, uh, which we'll be seeing him later on tonight. little spoiler alert. But... He's facing off against Trent Jenkins. This is his second UFC appearance and excited to see him back because he was in a performance of the night bout, which I thought was a really fun fight at UFC number one, losing to Jason DeLuca. Um, so I really hated that I couldn't watch this one. Obviously, there was no footage, but Mark Hall ended up winning by arm lock submission at 529 of regulation because obviously there's no rounds it's just a 15 minute um opening round so that's what happened in the alternate bouts this is the end of the alternate bouts and we're moving on to the quarterfinals this was so strange this usually doesn't happen when i um, look up and do my research for these events i go through tapology they're very reliable um, but for some reason tapology wikipedia all of these pages had these bouts listed in strange orders. Like it's not listed in the way that the fights happened. And that really pet was a pet peeve of mine. I had had to set up the document based off tapology and then realize as they're talking in the commentary that these other fights already happened. So then I had to basically watch all four of the beginnings of each of these fights to try to find out which one's first, which one's second. Uh, so that was that was really strange. I hope that trend does not continue. Um, I should make a tapology page <laughs> and uh, post a thread there to remind them that things are looking a little weird there. But <clears throat> either way, the first quarterfinal bout of the night ended up being David Tank Abbott, the Savage, making his return 
against Steve Jenham, a former UFC champion <clears throat> at UFC 4, uh, which was obviously exciting stuff. Didn't expect him. No, sorry. He was the UFC champion at UFC 3, and he ended up coming back but got injured, so wasn't able to perform again at UFC 4. So, so sorry for misspeaking on that one. Um, but he's back, and he's facing the savage that is Tank Abbott. Um, came in at six, uh, Tank, Tank Abbott came in at six foot 260, Steve Jenham, 5'10", 195. Tank is two and one in the UFC with his last appearance coming at UFC six, while Steve Jenham is two and oh, um, you already know last was there in UFC four, uh, Tank Abbott, I, I have to say he looked in much better shape this time around than he did the first time we saw him at UFC six. Um, so I, should be a competitive fight, man. Uh, Steve Jenner has a dog in him. Um, but Tank opened up fight up with an overhand right that landed flush. Got a big reaction from Jenner. You see, he wants to maintain that distance. Um, but Tank ended up going straight off the punch into a double leg takedown and secures it and moves straight into side control. And I'm like, man, Jenner is in trouble. Um, Jenner ended up regaining his half guard and, um, I, I thought it was pretty neat that he was actually covering Tank Abbott's mouth from the bottom. Uh, first time I've ever seen that in, um, these old school fights, um, trying to wear him out. The bigger guy makes sense. Um, but eventually Tank ended up scooting Jenner directly to the fence and starts using the fence to sort of keep himself anchored to Jenner. Um, this is a theme that happened a lot, um, in this event, so I'm interested to see how rules and regulations change moving forward. I wonder if they'll do anything about it because more so than any event, uh, the cage really becomes a factor in this one. Um, so Jenham ended up working back finally into his full guard. Uh, Tank is all postured up. Jenham did a good job at one point uh, putting his knees together, making a knee shield and pushing up against Tank's chest uh, to try to give himself some space. But remember, he still has his head up right against the fence. Um, and after holding that position for quite some time, uh, Jenham eventually tried to attack and invert the legs to try to go for a leg lock. Uh, but Tank was wise to it, separated, and then finally uh, re-engaged, putting himself into Jenham's half guard once again. Um, as they're working, Jenham, Jenham ends up retaining his full guard again. Tank starts to push Jenham's face, um, sorry, push Jenham against the fence again. Uh, putting his hands into the fence and driving his head straight into Jenham's chin, um, which had him sort of, sort of like this, pushed up against the fence. And they showed an angle um, from behind the cage that you could see Jenham was really pushed up against that fence with a lot of force that it looked like um, only thing I could think of that's similar to it is like, um, if you ever pulled on or put your finger in that net that comes with the oranges, super random, uh, fish net sort of pattern, and you push through it, you could start seeing it separating. And that's a metal fence. And, and, and it was doing that with his head. Um, so you know that there was a lot of force there. Um, crazy, crazy that you saw that happen. You see the chain link literally starting to spread apart. Um, but eventually... From getting pushed like that, Jenham ended up tapping at 114 uh, into the regulation period. That was so crazy to watch because 
that's something that cannot happen today. You, you can't hold the fence in that way and just drive your head forward. Um, I could, you could definitely crush people up against the fence. Don't get me wrong, but um, not in that way. You can't, you can't do it just by um, holding onto the fence, headbutting them, driving them in that way. So I'm sure that's something I probably might never see again, uh, but respect to Tank Abbott, Savage. Um, didn't expect that. This is a guy that's really always trying to go out there and, hit guys and knock people out uh but very strategically got that done with a i don't even know what to call that <laughs> let me see what i listed it as here on the document um i wrote he wins via neck crank against the fence but really it was uh, it was exactly that just pushing him right up against the fence and it caused them to get the tap so next up as i mentioned the polar bear Paul Varlins standing at six foot eight, 300 pounds, coming up against the beast, Dan Severn, six foot two, 250 pounds. Um, as far as matchup wise go, uh, this, this first quarterfinal bout, in my opinion, was one of the more closely matched fights. So I was really excited to see that these guys drew each other in the first round. Um, Paul Varlins is three and two in, in his UFC career with his last appearance at UFC six, losing to the eventual champion, Marco Huas. Dan Severn is five and two in the UFC with his last appearance also coming at UFC six, where he lost in a featured bout to Ken Shamrock via guillotine. So Dan Severn looking for redemption as well as Paul Varlins, who always goes far in these events. So let's get it started. Paul ran up. And went straight for a naked outside leg kick. Man, even back then, these guys will make you pay for that, um, especially against a wrestler like Dan Severn. He immediately gets taken down off of it, and Severn moves straight into a scarf hole position. Um, you could see him hunting that position in previous fights, so every time I see him get it now, um, I get excited because I know he, he works very well from there. And after some time, he starts pushing um, Paul Varlin's arm across his face uh, and eventually starts to wrap up that arm triangle choke, quickly gets the tap after um, he ended up getting into that right, proper position to get the choke um, at, a, at one minute and 40 seconds into regulation. Uh, super impressive performance. Not really much to say because... Um, fight naturally progressed in a very fast way even though it took a minute and 40 seconds but a uh, great performance by dan severn tough to see paul go out like that um once again rest in peace paul varlins uh but moving on to the third quarterfinal bout of the night we have dangerous dave benito standing at six foot two 235 pounds a former runner-up in the ultimate fighting championship tournaments against the Russian bear Oleg Taktarov, six foot, 225 pounds. This is actually a rematch of a fight that took place in um, what UFC was that? Let me quickly pull that up just so I get it right. This is Dan Severn. Which one is it? Sorry, let me look this up. Oleg Taktarov. I like that I take the time um, 
to write these out in the spreadsheet because I could just easily search them up with control F. <clears throat> the first time they fought took place at in Casper, Wyoming at UFC six. So that was the, the first fight of that event. Um, <clears throat> Sorry about that. So Dave Veneto, this is his fourth UFC appearance. He's two and two with his last fight being a loss once again at UFC six to Taktarov. Oleg Taktarov, seventh UFC appearance. He was four, one and one um, with his last fight being that draw versus Ken Shamrock that I mentioned earlier, which he should have should have got the L there, but um, goes into the books as a draw. This took place at UFC seven. So just the last event. And this is the second rematch in UFC history, which I found pretty interesting to note. Um, the first one being Hoist Gracie versus Ken Shamrock two. And um, just a reminder, Oleg won the first fight against Dave Veneto by guillotine submission. So, Let's get right into this one. Taktarov walks straight over and grabs a clinch. Um, Benito breaks out and lands a nice jab on the way out. Um, it's always interesting to see. I feel like early on, um, Taktarov doesn't open up much and ends up getting hurt because uh, he gets punched quickly early on. Um, but as the fight goes on, he starts landing his combinations. Um, so that's interesting to note as we continue on in this event. Uh, Benito charges back and is stifled by Taktarov's clinch once again. Uh, Benito ends up going for an outside trip, but Taktarov steps over it in order to stay standing. Um, nice little sequence there of grappling. Um, Taktarov ends up shooting for a single leg on that same leg. Um, <clears throat> sorry, not Taktarov. After he went for the trip, he ends up shooting for a single leg right on that same leg, trying to take down Oleg. Um, but Oleg was able to shove him off. Just a really nice little um, grappling sequence there uh, where there's counters to the counters, um, layers of defense uh, for Oleg Taktarov. And he eventually, off of that sequence, decides to invert for a nice Iminari roll, attacking those legs like he always does and finds himself in a great position for a knee bar. Um, he has the legs deep past the knee and is in the right position and torque on it just has to get it extended. Uh, Benito is defending well at first. He faces, uh, turns to face Taktarov, trying to take top position and stack that leg. Um, but as Benito tries to stack it and stay out of danger, Taktarov does a really good job of keeping that knee in that danger zone. So he's, he's still above the knee on the thighs with his um, figure four leg position. And, um, did a great job to sort of circle with him as he's trying to stack him. And he eventually takes him down fully into that 50 50 position. And that's really bad for Benito. Um, once he ended up in that position, it's basically just torquing until he finds the right spot to get the tap. Um, so Benito actually kicked Taktar off in the head as sort of a last ditch effort to get out of the submission. Um, which is actually technically illegal because he has shoes on. Um, so I find that hilarious that he still went for it. That's who you know was getting tight. Um, but he eventually had to tap to that inside heel hook. It was really nice. I, I literally had to look this up because it said on Tapology that um, this was an Achilles lock. Uh, but as I look it up, 
um, it's not an Achilles lock. It's a it's an inside heel hook, and the difference is, he was torquing on that. He had that right um, heel in the in the shoulder, and was torquing on it to the side rather than um, obviously having the foot splayed out um, to go for that Achilles lock. So just really good work uh, there from Oleg Taktarov. Surprised that I'm the one that had to correct topology on that, but uh, great performance and. Another submission in Oleg Tektaro's record, man. Um, he's a force to be reckoned with, and it's good to see a former champ moving on once again. So um, former champs are now 2-1 in, one in um, the competition tonight. So exciting times. Next up, our fourth and final quarterfinal bout, the reigning champion, Marco Huas standing in at six foot one, 218 pounds, facing off against Keith Hackney, 5'11", 200 pounds. Uh, Keith Hackney's two and one in, his, in the UFC. His last appearance was at UFC four, uh, where he was submitted by Hoist Gracie via armbar. Marco Huas, once again, is three and O and the defending champ from UFC seven. So this one started out, um, both guys trading leg kicks, Marco Huas is always circling around the cage, keeping his opponent as at distance. Um, Hackney ended up landing a really nice leg kick that you could tell um, Marco Huas is like, all right, let me stop playing around here. Um, so after that, they started, you know, both circling away, looking at each other, what I call, you know, staring in the mirror a little bit. Finally, Huas pushes Hackney up to the fence, uh, went for a, a takedown attempt, Hackney did everything he could to try to stay up using the fence as leverage and grabbing onto it. Um, but eventually, because he's holding on in that way and facing the fence straight on that way, um, Marco Huas grabs grabs the back, doesn't care, pulls him down to the ground and um, eventually flattens him out uh, from top position, which is just the worst spot to be when someone's on your back. Uh, very hard to move anywhere and you're just stuck. So um, Hua starts landing some big shots. Um, Hackney has his, uh, Hackney has Marco Huas's right arm underneath himself. So Huas only has his left to land shots with, but he's landing hard shots anyway. Um, just a lot of sh heart shown by Hackney. He was not letting go of that right hand and he was trying to get out, um, but he was just flattened out. Um, in a bad position. So Huas actually did something really cool, man. Um, something that we've seen actually this past year uh, with uh, Rude Boy, Randy Brown, a fellow Jamaican for my boy, um, Derek, if you're listening. Um, but <clears throat> Huas wrapped up a nice one-armed rear naked choke because obviously that arm was being held by Hackney, pulled him up and it was more so a, a neck crank because you could see with that um, heavy hip pressure he had, it was very easy to sort of extend Hackney's neck, um, but it still goes in the books as a rear naked choke. So just a great finish um, by Marco Huas. The mixture of the choke and the torquing of the neck is really what got it done at two minutes and 39 seconds of the first, well, regulation period, I should say. So that's the end of the quarterfinal bouts. And now the semis begin. The semis begin. Um, 
I was excited to see who drew who because these are four savages. Only one of them um, is not a champion, that being Tank Abbott. And as we know, he's a knockout artist, so he's always in these bouts. And he's up first. David Tank Abbott coming up against Dan Severn. Uh, very similar in size, but obviously Severn a little taller, um, only 10 pounds apart. And this one started off like insane, as always with Tank Abbott. Um, he's standing in orthodox. Severn is southpaw, which is notable. Um, Severn ends up shooting right away and Tank sprawls really nicely. Like you could really see that he has some sort of wrestling pedigree because against a guy like Severn, hard to sprawl out. He holds Severn down in a front headlock position, starts landing rib roasters to the body. Uh, really good work there um, from Tank taking advantage of that defensive position. Uh, see, you see this all the time in, in modern MMA and you love to see it. Um, a great example of um, landing damage off of takedown attempts is actually Carla Esparza versus Joanna Young Jacek when she won the belt against Carla. She did a great job every single time there was a takedown opportunity. She's landing elbows. She's doing everything she can to try to, you know, make her subconsciously decide, do I want to shoot um, when I'm getting beat up on the way in the way I am? Do I want to keep shooting for takedowns? So uh, interesting work there from Tank Abbott to start this one off. Um, and then in that uh, front headlock position, he ended up landing a really nice knee to Severn head, Se uh, Dan Severn's head. And Severn, uh, you could tell it just pissed him off. He didn't want, he, he wasn't having it. He ends up driving straight through after he gets hit with that shot and pushes Tank all the way to the fence, um, which was crazy to see. Obviously, you're, you're, you have a 260 pound guy on top of your neck, basically um, landing a, 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 a knee to your head. And then you're immediately just pushing him through with all your weight, standing up and bringing him to the fence like that. That takes a lot of energy. Um, so I was like, damn, this dude is strong as hell. Um, he basically benched him, picked him up and pushed him back to the fence. Uh, and from there, Severn got a beautiful outside trip. It was kind of hard to see. I had to run it back a couple times because the camera angle was really close. So it looked like a body lock, like he just picked them up in the body lock. Uh, but the way he fell, I could tell um, his legs would have been more in play if it was a body lock takedown. Obviously, you're, you got to pick them up and slam them. But with the trip, he fell straight back. So it made more sense on the replay when I looked at it. Um, but <clears throat> he ends up on Tank's back and bellied out um, after Tank bellied out, sorry. So that's when you um, basically go on all fours to try to give yourself a better position to stand up quickly. And from there, Severn remained in that sort of side ride position that he loves to get to. It's a rest, more of a wrestling position than a jujitsu position um, where you're kind of in turtle um, and your opponent's legs are, are in play, but uh, you're you're keeping um, sort of heavy pressure on them so that they're against the fence, um, and you you could just land really good shots from there. And Dan Severn's active as always, just a savage um, from that top position, landing nice elbows to the head, uh, finding nice angles to sort of sneak in elbows to the brainstem. Um, all of this is legal at this point uh, once again, and um, trying to get the finish. Uh, he ended up doing some nice knees to the body as well. Um, and then eventually 
Tanks Tanks is savage. Obviously, he's just really physically strong, and he's able to power through. Uh, but once again, uh, and get out of that sort of belly out position. Um, but he ends up now in the same front of the headlock position he had Severin in earlier on in the in the fight. So I'm like, I think Severin's really trying to get some revenge from that spot. Uh, Severin landed some big knees to the head from that position, the same knee that uh, Tank landed on him earlier. And um, but Tank's not driving through the way he did. Um, and he's sitting there to to take a couple of them. So Tank has a chin because he he took him flush and he kept on fighting. Um, and he ended up back again in that side right position again, just, just a beat down at this point. Um, Severin's just landing ground and pound, trying to find his openings. Um, he ends up deciding, you know what? I'm, I'm hurting my hand. Like the, the commentators were saying, he has to be careful. You don't want to keep punching the head. Cause even though he's not really defending much, um, you could really damage your hand by punching the skull. Um, so he decided to advance his position, ends up on Tank's back. Obviously, as a wrestler, he never puts his hooks in. He just kind of puts heavy hip pressure um, to sort of belly out his opponent. Um, but this is the first time I ever saw someone use what is now referred to as the Dagestani handcuff because of Khabib. Um, this is really a wrist ride. That, that's what it is, where... Um, you have someone's back or you could do it from the front position too. But in this case, he had his back. And as Tank is trying to build a base on the canvas, he's grabbing Tank's wrist and tucking it underneath him. Um, so he is taking that arm entirely out of play, uh, which obviously is tough because it's hard enough to get up when you have both your hands, but now you have one of your arms underneath your body. Um, so that that's a tough position to be in. Um, cool to see that obviously once again Severin's just a savage um <clears throat> and literally for eight minutes straight um I, I sometimes you gotta fast forward a little bit uh, I can't just commentate over every single thing because you're not we're not watching the fight um but for eight minutes straight just sort of keeping Tank on his side and landing ground and pound wherever he could fit it in um I was wondering sort of you know this is a tournament could his hand be potentially damaged? Because that's how much punches he's landing on, on um, Tank's head. Um, but Severin eventually finds himself closer to the middle of the cage on, uh, on top of Tank. And obviously it's harder to pick yourself up with the, the fence from that position. Tank ends up going to Turtle and literally working his way up to the feet using the fence at two with 256 left in um regulation <clears throat> as uh dance as he picks himself up and is facing the fence dan severin just puts a lot of weight on him stays on him pushes him against the fence and as he's sort of trying to keep him there um tank abbott lands a nice um elbow that you could tell really got the attention of Severin. From that point forward, he kept his head sort of in the middle of um, Tank's back and just kept on wearing on him, pushing him against the fence. You could tell, man, um, this is just grueling. Um, you got a you got a 260, 250 pound guy on top of you, um, just sort of making you carry his weight and your weight. Um, and just hanging on him, kneeing his thighs. Eventually, you, you can see he's a tank. Abbott is just exhausted. 
Um, Dan Severn is too, but when you're working from top position, it's a little less taxing. And um, eventually Big John separated him with 10 seconds left, but there you can see take is like, like just trying to get as much wind as he can to get one last flurry in. Um, he threw a big left hand trying to land a big bomb. Uh, Severn ducked right under it. And this was just a complete performance by Dan Severn. First time a UFC fight went to the judges for a decision. And um, fights were judged as a whole. So obviously there's no round. So you can't judge it with the 10-8 must, well, 10-9 must system. Um, it's just judged as a whole, um, as you would imagine. And literally before the decision could be rendered, Take Abbott knew, everyone knew that uh, Dan Severn won that one. So Take literally, um, when I saw him do it, I thought he was going to celebrate. Like he jumped up on the, the corner of the cage. Usually when guys do that, they, they're celebrating. But no, he ended up just jumping right out, like left straight to the back. He, he didn't want no part of that. Uh, so, hey, man, Dan Severn moving on to the finals again. This is really notable because if you guys remember, he went to the finals the first time against Hoist Gracie and ended up getting submitted. Second time he went, he ended up winning. Um, I believe that was against Dave Benito. Let me just double check that. Yep, against Dave Benito in the finals where he ended up winning at UFC 5. So um, he's in the finals again for a third time. And this is rivaling only one man. And you guys know who that is, Hoist Gracie. Um, he tied the record at this point um, of finals appearances in the tournament. So that's exciting. And this next fight, man, when I realized that this was the matchup, I was super excited for. This is the classic grappler versus striker matchup. We have Oleg Taktarov, six foot, 225 pounds, going up against Marco Huas. 6-1-218, the defending champion. Um, this one was a really long fight. I'm not going to lie, so I'm going to try to highlight some points. Um, but bear with me here because not much happened in this fight. Let me make that clear. Um, fight starts with Hua circling away from Taktarov, obviously going to the left. I, I noted this because, once again, I, I was talking so much in the last episode about how Marco Huas does a great job moving around the cage um, and keeping his distance from his opponents, uh, which is always exciting to see at this level of um, UFC competition. It's not that common to see guys moving around fluidly like that and sort of keeping their opponent at distance. So he's doing a great job um, circling to the left, but he'll mix it up with L steps to the right. So he'll stop that momentum, go back a little bit to the right, and then continue on circling to the left. So giving guys different looks, giving them something to think about. Um, in this circling war, uh, he's landed some nice leg kicks on Oleg, um, while Oleg is obviously trying to shoot for those takedowns. Huas does a great job on the first attempt, um, stopping it and continuing his circle away. Um, the first time Oleg Taktarov throws a strike, he threw a sidekick to the knee. Hold on a sec, I got to sneeze. Whew. Thank God for the mute button. Uh, sorry about that, you guys. So 
Open up with the sidekick to the knee, which I found hilarious. Um, Hua starts taunting, sort of shaking his head, saying, "He can't take you can't take me down," you know. And he's sh uh, shaking off the strikes that Oleg lands. So every time he lands that sidekick, he's just like, "Oh," um, which I found funny, uh, especially with the way this one ends up turning out. But Huas is circling away, throwing non-committal sort of straight right hands, not even jabs, straight right hands. But you can see he's not really trying to hit him. He's just trying to, like, fill the space between them so that Oleg stops um, advancing. But obviously, he's not going to. Um, and this is something that Don Wilson mentioned, which is one of the commentators on the night. Um, he was saying, you know, it doesn't really make sense that Huas is just backing away because if Oleg was to do the same, they'll just be sitting there looking at each other. Like that, that's how it felt, especially with the way he's just really keeping distance. I admire it because obviously it's a part of technical striking, but at the end of the day, let's be real. If you're not throwing punches to land and you're just circling and throwing leg kicks, it could get pretty boring. And I, I admit that. Um, so Oleg finally starts to open up. As I mentioned, he, he does tend to take his time um, opening up in these fights, but when he does, um, he throws some impactful strikes. Sorry about that, you guys. Just fixing my setup here. There we go. Um, so he starts opening up with some nice combinations. He ends up throwing a leg kick that Huas actually grabbed. And as he grabs the leg and lifts it, um, it looks like he pops something in um, Oleg Taktaro's knee because as soon as he lands, um, obviously gets that foot that was suspended in the air back on the mat, he, like, tries to, like, stretch his knee out. Like, he does, like, a... Only way I could describe it is, like, back in gym class when you do those knee circles. Like, that's what he was trying to do. Like, so I don't know what happened there. Um, but obviously, he felt some sort of pain. And I was surprised that um, Huas didn't try to take advantage of that position and, you know, throw some punches uh, while he sees that he's injured. Um, but Huas eventually um, – oh, no, I'm sorry. Oleg starts charging in, throwing some punches that – Huas blocked that landed on his forearm, um, but Oleg in the process sort of pushes him up against the fence. Huas is holding on to a body lock from that position. So now think about that. His back is against the fence. He's holding on to a body lock. That's just a stall position. You're not doing anything. And Taktaro's landing punches whenever he can, but Big John is literally yelling at Oleg to work which I found so annoying because he's not the one stalling. He, he's the one working. He's the one throwing punches while um, Huas is just holding him. So he should have been um, yelling at Huas and not Taktarov. But, of course, it's only right when we got a lull in the action that they close up on Marco Huas' feet while he's throwing these stupid-ass foot stomps. Uh, Shout-out to Kamaru Usman, his signature move. Um, but Oleg is using the fence to sort of hold him in place, land right hands. Eventually, he inverts and tries to extend Huas's leg, but Huas did a good job recognizing it. And um, because obviously you're in that scramble, you got to try to defend that leg. And he did a great job to prevent Taktarov from um, extending the leg straight, 
by actually triangling his own legs underneath uh, Tektarov. So you would imagine the same way you would going for a rear naked choke, but obviously instead of um, someone being between your legs, you're just doing it to yourself. Um, so really interesting tactic to sort of prevent. You can't torque on somebody's leg. Um, it's the same idea with sort of armbar defense. Like you hold your own arm down to try to prevent them from getting that extension. It's the same thing, but instead you're triangling your leg. So great, great defense there from Marco Huas. Um, and obviously just stacking Oleg. He was deep in the knee, deep above the knee, though. You got to give him that. Uh, Huas eventually is able to get out and get up. Um, but Oleg uses a nice butterfly guard uh, to sort of lift Huas. But it doesn't do anything because Huas is actually holding the fence um, behind Oleg. So um, he's basically just um, holding him in position while Oleg keeps on trying to elevate him. This this butterfly move comes into play again later on tonight. I'll leave that. No spoilers on that one. We'll get to that when we get to it. But Huas is holding on to that fence, so Oleg can't do anything. So Oleg just says, fuck it. This was one of the funniest moments of the night for me personally, because this you obviously you'll never see something like this happen today because it's just illegal as fuck. Um, but Oleg literally grabbed, <laughs> he's facing this way. So the fence is behind him, just grabs the fence this way and does a pull up, <laughs> fucking picks himself up <laughs> like that. That's crazy. Um, takes a lot of strength to do that. When Obviously, when someone's pushing down on you uh, the way Huas is, but it worked, got to his feet and um, <laughs> um, just picked himself up, Set, che takes cheating to a whole nother level, man. You don't got a wall walk if you could just pull yourself up with the fence. So they get to the feet, Huas separates, and Oleg has his hands on his knees, man. He is tired as hell, and I don't blame him. Uh, it must be hard to, to uh, do a pull-up while someone's pulling you down. Um, just think of, think of that. Pull-ups are hard enough on their own. Um, so it was funny because as soon as uh, Taktara put his hands on his knees, to sort of take those deep breaths in. Huas just puts his hands on his hips to do the same. So they're both just looking at each other, <laughs> sucking wind with eight minutes left to go in this fight. And that just was the testament to me of how the rest of this fight was going to go. Um, but there's some notable moments here. So I'm going to continue. Um, <clears throat> Oleg tried to dive on Huas's legs uh, with sort of leg scissor takedown, which tries many times in this fight but none of them work Huas just ends up backing up right out of them um uh Oleg eventually came back up and landed a really nice left hook that sort of woke up Marco Huas you can see so like his eyes widened after he got hit and as soon as he got hit he sort of wiped his eye and checked to see if he was bleeding and that's how you know a strike really landed with some authority because most of the time when you get hit um i've done some friendly sparring nothing crazy and when you do get hit you're surprised that it, it does sting but it doesn't hurt the way you think it would um getting hit clean um but when you see someone do that it's it's most likely because it hurt or, or they feel like 
um, some sort of pain in their skin. So that's why he was checking to see if there was a cut, but there wasn't. And um, Oleg did a great job sort of capitalizing on that moment and recognizing um, that he was um, hurt in that way and just starts throwing a series of hooks. Um, he misses all of them. God bless him. Uh, but he's trying. You got to give him that. And as he steps in, he ends up headbutting Hua right in the chin. And obviously that forces Hua to take a big step back. And it looks like he got punched. Like I made sure because on commentary, they reacted as if he threw, um, as if he landed a right hand. But I knew my eyes weren't deceiving me. I'm like, this isn't a right hand. I kept rewinding it. It was a headbutt um, straight, but it looked like it was the, the right hand that landed because he threw it right after. Um, so you see him reacting to getting hit with the with the head, um, but it's not it's not a right hand. It's a damn headbutt. Um, still legal at this point, might I add. Um, but from there, Huas ends up shooting for a takedown. And just from these flurries of strikes, uh, as Nate Diaz says, you know, oh, you a wrestler now. Like, I, I thought you was a striker. You trying to wrestle the, the grappler. Um, so after he shot for that takedown, I was like, this is interesting because he found himself right in the guillotine. And this is one of Oleg Taktaro's patented moves. He's finished many people with it in the UFC already. Um, but who else was calm? You got to give him that. He did a great job of defending. Uh, the, the head was on the left side of the mat. Um, and he did a great job of sort of angling away so he would keep um, Taktarov on his right hip, if you could visualize that. Um, so he couldn't get the right torque to sort of finish the submission because he's off to the side. Um, but it was still very deep. You could see him struggling to breathe and sort of trying to make whatever space he can make to get out of there. Um, but it was just a battle. They were there for, I would say, probably two minutes um, with Oleg trying to find the right adjustments. Uh, Huas just trying to get as much wind as he can in that spot. And this was ridiculous. Big John is here threatening to stand him up. Like, what are you doing, bro? Like, um, they, <laughs> he's in a submission. Doesn't, doesn't really get closer to finishing a fight than that, regardless of if they're in a static position. He's working for a submission. Like you can't take that position away from him, man. Um, eventually, Marco Huas is able to break the hands apart, um, and Oleg just doesn't care. He's he holds on to the guillotine with that left arm and just tries to regrip it. You could see that that's not working. And at this point, um, I thought he should have bailed because you're just wasting more energy trying to keep tugging on it. Uh, but eventually, as he said he would. Big John separates them and brings the doctor in to look at Oleg's cut. Um, let's the cut, the cut man wipe the blood, which I found fascinating because nowadays when they bring the doctor in, um, they make the doctor clean the fighter so that it's not as if they're getting Vaseline or anything like that. That didn't happen here either, but he let the cut man take care of the cut. Uh, he had Q-tips on the cut, um, stuff that you don't really see in today's MMA, when they bring in the doctor for cuts like that, uh, they'll wipe it with a towel, um, but they won't, they won't go in with the Q-tips in that way. But anyway, Oleg, um, once they start, uh, once they start up the fight again, Oleg starts walking towards the center of the cage and Big John's a savage, bro. He just, he's telling him to step back and he's not like Oleg is still walking forward. This man just shoves him. Um, as he's as he's been known to do 
uh, back towards his corner. Now, at this point, Oleg is just memeing. Like, he, he's literally holding his right hand, like, underneath his, his waist, uh, like, like he's about to pull a gun out of a holster or something. He's pointing at um, Marco Huas with that right hand that he has underneath, just so strange, um, sort of motioning at him, taunting him. Huas, at this point, is just super tentative. He's not opening up at all. He's breathing very hard, and he's backing up, but we're in slow motion at this point like he, he's not circling the same way he was early on there's not that pep in his step he's just backing up as slowly as he can um he's flashing a jab at him but he's nowhere near in range to land it so it's really just to try to keep oleg off of him um and at this point oleg's like i'm not gonna be able to get to you let me just start throwing some kicks throws the first body kick of the fight um Huas is like, oh, you, you landed that one, which I found pretty funny. Um, and then Oleg eventually lands a nice straight right off of a leg kick. So he throws, um, Huas throws a leg kick. Uh, Oleg makes him pay for it, which you love to see. That's what the commentators were begging for all night. Every time Huas would throw that leg kick. Um, Huas threw a nice combination, a right leg kick followed by a right hook. I love those same side combinations. Uh, they're very fluid when done correctly, and it looked nice. It was worth noting. Um, Oleg is just pushing forward, though, starting combinations off of his leg kicks, which is interesting. Usually, um, the practice, the common practice nowadays is to attack uh, with the hands first and then go down to the legs um, so that you're not coming in first off a leg kick, but... Oleg doesn't care. He's starting off those combinations. And, and funny enough, I think it's a good read against Marco Huas because he's a, he has that Thai boxing background. Every time someone throws a leg kick at him, he tries to check it. So when he throws that kick, he sort of stops moving to defend, to pick that leg up. And as he does that, Oleg starts charging in with strikes. So really good tactic, situational tactic, because you that you wouldn't consider that best practice. Um, so creative stuff there for Oleg and it allows him to start getting inside on um, Marco Huas, which is important because all fight, once again, he's just been circling away. So Oleg decides to go for a double leg, was really, really low. Uh, so Huas was able to sprawl out and circle out nicely. Um, Oleg attempts another one of those scissor sweeps, uh, but doesn't get it. Huas just backs up and stands up. Um, but this was just really strange, man. Um, last three, three minutes of the round, basically, Huas is just backing away, trying to stay away as much as possible, but he's like shaking out his muscles. Like, I don't know if he was trying to taunt or he literally felt like, you know, the buildup of fatigue, like he was trying to shake that off. Just strange, man. Just strange. Um, but... <clears throat> Leon Tabs is working on um, Oleg as soon as the fight finishes because he has two big cuts, one on each eyelid, uh, which is tough to consider. You know, we could potentially have another fight here. And if you paid attention, since this is the semis, this is the second semifinal bout. So the next bout would be the finals. So you, you, there's no alternate bouts left to be had to sort of fill this spot. So if the if what the commentators said are right, whoever wins this fight only has 20 minutes of rest before they end up fighting Dan Severn. 
Uh, so that's a tall task for anyone, let alone someone that has two cuts on both of his eyes. But all three judges scored the decision for Oleg Taktarov. I agree, man. The crowd cheered very loudly for this one, um, which I was surprised by because it wasn't a very exciting fight. Um, but I agree with the decision. He was the one pushing the action. He had that uh, guillotine attempt, which took about five minutes off the clock. Um, it was an interesting fight in the way that I'm picking up on all these things that are happening. It was interesting to me, but this was the most boring fight by far on the entire card. Huas was doing everything he could to avoid. Um, it looked like to avoid that grappling phase. He was just trying to keep him at distance. But the problem I had with it is you're not, you're not throwing volume out there. Like you're just trying to, to keep him at bay, trying to keep him far away from you. You're not landing effective damage in that time. And that that's it. That's the key here. You're, you gotta, you gotta be advancing your position and going for the finish. And that's what Oleg was doing. So rightfully so he got the decision. I'm glad the right guy won. And we got a battered Oleg Taktarov facing off against Dan Severn in a rematch. Um, so exciting stuff, a rematch in the finals, two former UFC champs. You can't ask for nothing better than that, man. So give me one second as I grab some water here. All right. Just a quick little reminder. Dan Severn won UFC number five. Um, tied Hoist Gracie for most final appearances at three. Oleg won UFC six. This is his second finals appearance and also the second rematch of the night for him. Um, I look back at all the other matches there. There's never been a fighter that had multiple rematches in his UFC career. So a uh, little piece of history there for Oleg Taktarov. Um, let's get right into the finals match, baby. Um, Severns opens up with a, a, the southpaw jab, stepping into it. It's a, it's a telephone pole of a jab, a strong jab, uh, which I was excited to see from Severn because he, he isn't known for his striking. So he's stepping into it, trying to land it with authority. Um, at this point in the fight, as soon as it started, Oleg isn't doing anything. Uh, Severn is just active. He starts throwing slaps, <laughs> open palm strikes in combination. Um, the commentators were theorizing that he was doing it to try to reopen those cuts, which is a, a viable strategy. Um, Oleg ends up throwing his first combination of the fight, but misses entirely. And in the process sort of leaves his head out there and Severn shoves the back of his head and sort of knocks him off balance, and he ends up going down, which I was surprised by. It, for a second, it looked like it could have been a punch, uh, but when I look back at it, it was, it was definitely a shove. So it's not a knockdown. Um, not that they're scored in that way anyway, but just important to, to note the difference because it's not a punch that, that sent them down there. It was a shove. Um, but Severn runs in right behind it, takes advantage of the position, something that Marco Huas wasn't willing to do in that last fight. And I think that's important. Um, he's the aggressor and he's, he wants to be in that fire. Um, 
does a great job pushing against that. Uh, sorry, Oleg Taktarov does a great job of sort of pushing against the momentum of Dan Severn and ends up rolling for a leg, man, like he always does. He has it extended um, with the heel facing the ceiling. Uh, you see Dan Severn is just grimacing, man. And this will be the second time, you know, that they find themselves in a spot where Dan Severn's about to get submitted by Taktarov, you know? Um, but Dan does a good job of sort of holding his leg in a bent position so he can't fully extend for the knee bar. I think in hindsight, obviously, it's easy for me to say this, but I think he should have sort of attacked the same way he did against Dave Benito for a heel hook instead and not a knee bar. The difference being is with the, the heel hook, you're extending the knee cap um, as you would an arm bar straight out. Um, with the uh, heel hook, you're sort of torquing the heel at a sideways angle, um, which literally rips the ligaments of the knee right apart. So a much more, they're both very dangerous. Don't get me wrong to the structure of the knee, both very dangerous. Um, but the heel hook is a more immediate, like you're, you're ripping apart their ligaments. You can't fight on from that. Um, in the same way you could sort of defend and prevent someone from fully extending your leg. Um, because with the heel hook, it's more of a sideways crank than it is a straight extension. Um, so I hope, I hope that helps you get a better picture of what I'm trying to say here. But Severn does a great job of sort of rolling through this leg attack every single time he tries to extend it. He's, he's keeping him in motion and eventually finds a way to get on top in Oleg's uh, guard. Just great job staying out of danger. Even when it looked like at one point he was in a lot of pain, he just fought through it. So much respect. Immediately starts going for ground and pound. Works his way into the mount. Um, Oleg did a good job of sort of regaining half guard. Um, but is just trying to hold Dan Severn in place and sort of stop the rain. Um, but... As we know, Severin is a savage, so he's doing some nasty tactics. He tripods off his own forehead. So imagine this. He's in Oleg's half guard. He has his head pinned right on Oleg's face, and he's using his head as a third arm so he could throw punches with each hand to those cuts on um, Oleg Taktarov's eyes savage just a savage um pin pin you down land those strikes uh the cuts are getting really bad at this point for taktarov um oleg tried at one point to sort of invert for a knee bar again excuse me but severin was able to free that leg and sort of control him from that turtle side ride position once again he pushes him over um, off of his base from turtles. So imagine he's on his four, his sort of elbows and his knees gets pushed over into into side control. Um, and Severn starts doing what Severn does, man. He just wears on these guys. He puts a forearm right in Oleg's throat, uh, just uncomfortable position to remain in. And Oleg doesn't really have much to offer from these spots. You know, he's just trying to defend, trying to minimize damage. Um, but 
along the entire way, Severn is just peppering him with shots wherever he could find an opening to throw a punch. He's more so in this bout, less worried about landing punches to the head because he knows this is his final fight of the night. So he's trying to get the finish. And uh, shout out to Oleg for staying tough in this one. You know, he really um, withstood a storm here. And Severn continues to do savage things. Just one thing I want to point out, he also did. He starts posting Oleg's face with his left hand, uh, putting all his weight on Oleg's face, and then using his other hand to slap down on him. Um, Just big brother stuff terrible position to find yourself in eventually Oleg this was beautiful this sequence right here that I'm about to try to talk you through this was amazing to watch shout out to Oleg Taktarov he gets a butterfly hook which is where your the the instep the shin uh the shin bone is going across your opponent's knee um so as they're trying to maintain that top heavy position you could use that hook to sort of elevate and lift them up and um, Severn, at, at one point, he Oleg isn't bucking at all. He just is holding that butterfly hook. And at, at one point, Severn tried to sort of buck forward to um, clear that leg. And as soon as he did, Oleg used that momentum to get a really nice sweep, man. He, he used those butterfly hooks to, to um, off-balance um, Dan Severn and then immediately gets on his feet. So that was beautiful. But... Dan Severn doesn't give a hell. He grabs onto the ankle on the way up and lifts it. And you see Oleg look like he was about to fall out of the out of the cage, dude. He was really high up in the air after um, Oleg. I mean, sorry, after Dan Severn just drove that leg up. Um, but Oleg ends up grabbing the top of the fence and trying to hold on to it. Uh, but Severn already has him down in a takedown. So he's just holding on to the top of the cage. Um, commentary notes that him doing that, him holding that hand up there, he ended up bending the fence. Uh, so that's, you could tell Dan Severn was doing everything he could to take him down. And he was trying as hard as he could to keep himself up the same way he did against Marco Huas. But this time he wasn't able to. Oleg ends up deciding to turtle, uh, get on his all, all his fours and eventually works his way to the fence where he does that whole bit where he pulls himself up again. But instead, this time, he is um, sort of facing the fence, not like in a pull-up position this way with the fence behind him. He's facing the fence this time. And um, Big John stops the fight once uh, Oleg gets back to his feet to let the cut man work on um, the cut again. Um, and it was good that we got that little break of action so that uh, they could get a little second to breathe as well because uh, more so than the fight prior, Severn is really putting it on Taktarov and taking that damage also takes a toll. People don't understand that. You're trying to get this guy off of you. That's much harder than maintaining that top position. Both are very hard, don't get me wrong, Um, but taking damage on top of trying to take someone off of you is a tough task for anyone. Um, Severn is obviously still the fresher fighter. He's circling around Oleg now, which I found fascinating early on. He was really pressuring him, but now he knows he has the lead. He's he's letting them come to him. And um, Oleg starts walking him down, man. He's just a savage. 
uh, think about it. He just was in a fight 20 minutes prior to this one. And now you're 20 minutes deep into another fight and 20 minutes in after getting your ass kicked, you're still pushing forward. Like that really says a lot about his metal and the fact that he really is in there to win. Um, I feel like you can't say that, unfortunately, about Marco Huas in that last fight. Even though he's circling out and throwing leg kicks, he's not doing nothing. Um, but he's not ev- advancing and bringing the fight to um, Taktarov the way Taktarov is bringing the fight to Dan Severn. Eventually, um, <clears throat> Oleg tries to invert for another leg lock. But this time, as soon as he goes down, Severn just jumps right on top of him, ends up in sort of a half guard position. Severn tries to work for an arm triangle like he did in his earlier fight against Paul Varlins, uh, but he can't seem to get Oleg's arm across the face. Um, So Severn is trying to work for that arm triangle. Oleg is not having it. He's just holding him in place. And eventually Big John sort of breaks them up again. I didn't like that once again, because you're in a position where you're hunting a submission, even if you don't have it, you shouldn't really take that position away from Dan Severn. Um, but makes sense. Uh, you definitely get pressured by the crowd when the crowd is screaming because they want some, some stand up action. So as soon as Severn stands up, um, he throws his hands up and is screaming, come on to the crowd, just a savage. Um, <clears throat> Severn is the one circling out though at this point of the fight he steps in at every every now and then with a the nice right hook left straight combo and and literally at this point of the fight he's spamming this like he's not even trying to have any variation that's his set combination and um eventually sort of um ends up in a position where he's just being walked down by Oleg Taktarov. Um, eventually, Oleg decides to go for another leg scissor sweep, which he's been doing all night, but hasn't landed once. Um, once again, Severn jumps right on top of him again. And I said all of these things to get us to this point where Big John can't justify standing them up. So they end the regulation period which in championship fights is 27 minutes. So think about that. UFC title fights nowadays are 25 minutes, but there's five minutes, um, there's five minute rounds and there's a minute between each round of recovery. This is 27 minutes straight. Um, So just major props to both these guys because even though they're pushing the fight the entire time, Neither of these guys are exhausted to the point that they cannot continue. Uh, so much respect. And especially Oleg, you know, you just two back-to-back fights in a row like that with nothing in between is nuts. Um, so the three-minute overtime period begins. The crowd, you can see it. The whole crowd is on their feet, just super excited for the final uh, minutes of this fight because even though Oleg really got battered in the regulation period, um, it's not over Uh, and he's still here coming forward. He lands some nice combinations to start the round. um, And you see, he's really going to pick it up. Um, Severn tries to duck under uh, his left straight and get a takedown, 
Um, but Oleg ends up landing a really nice left hook in the process that you could see wobble Severn a little bit. It wasn't a, a big strike like um, that Severn was really hurt, uh, but it really caused him to reevaluate coming in like that recklessly. And for the rest of the round, he, he doesn't try another takedown. Oleg is just coming forward, trying to land whatever strikes he can. Um, Severn answers with a nice one-two, which you love to see, even as he's, you know, you, you feel the momentum shifting a little bit. Oleg ends up landing a really nice right hook. Um, and you see, as soon as he gets hit, Severn shakes his head like, no, 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 you didn't hurt me. Uh, but you already know what that means. It means it did connect good. Um, so you could tell Dan Severn is looking for that right hook every time Oleg enters. And every time he throws it, he can't miss. He's landing it flush uh, right on um, <clears throat> Oleg Taktarov's left side of his face every time he's trying to step in. So shout to Oleg. Once again, just toughness on another level, walking through these strikes to throw his own. Um, this was the, the most exciting point of this fight because even though, like I said, he got battered, um, he's the one pushing the action and trying to go for a finish here late. So super exciting stuff. Uh, finally, Dan Severn lets him get up when they end up on the ground, which I was surprised by. Um, he lets him get up and as he tries to stand up, Severn lands in, um, not lands in, jumps in and throws a big right hand that sits down Oleg again. And I was surprised, but it looked like he dropped him. And I was like, holy shit, like Severn has some power, even, even though he hasn't been opening up the same way Oleg has in the, in the overtime period, he landed, you could argue, the biggest shot of the overtime period. Um, right at the end of the bout so that that really took all doubt of my mind of any judge thinking you know maybe that little push at the end you could give it to Oleg uh, no Severn evened it up there and Don Wilson the commentator set it up lovely he says you know the largest purse in martial arts history is about to be given to someone and that's $150,000 now ironically if you break that down, this is his third fight of the night. So he's technically getting 50K per fight, 25 and 25, 25 to show, 25 to win. These numbers are significant because that's not the opening salary of UFC fighters today um, is in that 13K to show, 13K to win range. Um, so you could argue, you know, three fights in one night is extreme. And if you lose one, then you don't get any money. So that's notable. Um, but this is a significant payday when you consider it's 1996. Um, so the decision is going to be rendered. And of course, Dan Severn wins via unanimous decision, uh, being the first guy besides Hoist Gracie to win multiple UFC tournaments with his second in three appearances. Uh, so there was a beautiful show of respect at the end. Both guys sort of hugged it out. And that's it. The ultimate ultimate is all wrapped up. This was a great event. Uh, ended with some close competitive fights. 
they went to decision. Obviously, you want to see those finishes, but um, I had a, a really fun time sort of slowing these fights down and really looking for those individual moments to talk to you guys about. And there was a ton of them. So that, that was just super exciting for me. Now, it's only right that we get into my awards of the night. So my fight of the night, I had to give it to Dan Severn and Oleg Taktarov too. Just a war. Um, obviously, it was more of a one-sided beatdown than you would generally like for fight of the night. But the way that sort of final push played out um, just added a bunch of drama. And that, that's what sealed it up for me. That had to be the fight of the night. There wasn't much back, back and forth fights like that um, during the night. So it was a little bit of an easy pick for me. Performance of the night. This was tough. Um, just because there was a lot of good submissions that I could potentially give it to. Uh, but I ended up giving it to Take Abbott against Steve Jenham. Just a submission we're probably never going to see again, man. Just straight shoving this guy's head through the cage, literally, and forcing him to tap. Um, great performance. And it, you got there because you landed a big right hand and then got a nice takedown. So you can't say he didn't work his way into that position. So great win for Tank Abbott on a night that ended up turning sour for him. Now, there was no knockouts this night. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, so I'm going to give out two submissions of the night because, you know, got to give out these bonuses, man. Um, the first one I gave to Marco Huas versus Keith Hackney, that one arm rear naked choke was beautiful. Um, once again, more of a neck crank, but still, um, getting that extension, the way he did it made it look effortless while this guy has your, your arm tucked underneath himself, trying to prevent you from choking him. Just wrap it up with one arm, get that extension, uh, great submission. Don't regret giving him that one at all. And finally, my last submit, my last award, my final submission of the night. I think this one's a little bit better. Oleg Taktarov versus Dave Beneteau with that inside heel hook. Once again, come at me if you don't agree that it's an inside heel hook. I did my research on this one, and I wanted to make sure I was right. And there's a big difference between knee bars and heel hooks and Achilles holds. So if you if you want to get dive into that. Um, <clears throat> the, the minutia of that, like I did, definitely please do and reach out to me and let me know what you think as far as what submission it was. It was listed as an Achilles lock, but I'm listing it as an inside heel hook because that's, that's what it looked like to me. So that wraps up the ultimate ultimate. Thank you so much for sticking around this entire time. Um, you could check me out, as you know, on Twitter at MMA. You could also find me on Instagram at Chris Negron underscore. And most importantly, make sure you're following the brand OTS Media Co. on all social media platforms, OTS Media on YouTube. Uh, we got so many shows going right now. I'm having so much fun doing the sideline guys with my boy, Derek. We're adding new segments, making it fun for you guys every week. So don't forget to tune into that. And check out our other shows, man. We got a whole bunch of great shows. Life's a botch. Um, past the Ox. Nat uh, Fluential with her all-nat show covering the Golden State Warriors. 
there's just so many good things over there at OTS Media. So make sure you check us out. Give us a follow so you can get all this content straight to your feed. Just literally hours and hours of content um, across all different sports. So check that out. Pop culture, sports. We got it all, baby. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next one, UFC 8. Um, thank you so much for sticking around once again, and I'll catch you guys next time. Peace.